0: If I pulled five $100 bills out of my pocket, I'd be wearing Dale Brown's pants. (laughs) That's cheap. That's cheap. If I pulled five $100 bills out of my pocket and I said, okay, the first five people who come up here to give me a $1 bill, I'll give you a $100 bill. How crazy would that be? if I vary, if I were to just do that, how many of you would be injured in that mad dash down here to the front, right? A guaranteed 100 to one return on your investment. You hand me a $1 bill, I give you a $100 bill. You guys, don't kid yourselves, you'd be setting picks for your family members, you'd be elbowing people, you'd be blocking people out. It would be crazy if we were to do that. And next Sunday, a lot more of you would be sitting closer to the front, I promise. I give you a $100 bill, all you gotta do is give me a one. A 100 to 1 guaranteed return on your investment. You'd be foolish not to jump into that, right? There's an old movie called Awakenings. Carrie Ann and I just watched this movie a couple of weeks ago. It's got Robert De Niro and, and Robin Williams in this movie, Awakenings. Robert De Niro plays a, a man named Leonard, and Leonard has this very rare disease, and it's, it's a terrible disease. It's just, it's an awful part of the movie to even watch, but this disease begins like Parkinson's disease, and it causes uh, Leonard to to shake uncontrollably and his body is going into spasms and he's twitching all the time and he doesn't have any control over it whatsoever but then it's not like Parkinson's in that it progresses so rapidly and so quickly and eventually it turns all of its sufferers into these kind of frozen paralyzed like people in a coma like they're in a trance they can't move a muscle of their body It it freezes them totally and all they can do is just sit in a chair or lay in bed And it's just, it's an awful thing to watch. And so there's several of these patients all in the same hospital. And Robin Williams shows up, Dr. Sayer, And uh, he starts working with these patients and he experiments a little bit with the drugs and he does some research and he figures out the exact right dosage of the exact right medication and how to give it and when to give it. And he begins to bring these patients out of their comas, hence the title Awakenings. And so here's Leonard, Robert De Niro's character, and he is awake for the first time in 30 years. And his life is good now, you know. Now he is struggling trying to figure out, okay, what's his relationship with his mom and how do you navigate life? A lot has changed in 30 years since I've been awake. And then a beautiful young woman comes into his life. Now things are really great, you know? I mean, it was already good compared to being in a coma for 30 years, but now things are really great, and, and his life is progressing, and it's going along pretty well, and then Dr. Sayer recognizes that they're having to give more dosage and more medication every day just to keep these patients functioning, and because of the cost of the medication and the scarcity of the drugs, they're unable to do it, and they shut the program down. And all these patients begin to pretty rapidly start convulsing and start spasming again. And they know there's no hope for them. They're about to slip back into this coma. And so Leonard gathers up all the, the strength he can muster and all the control that he has within him. He gathers it up to tell this young lady goodbye for the last time. And he, he gathers up all of that control and he's trying with, with everything he can. But it's just... It is such an awful thing to watch because his body is spasming uncontrollably and he wants to tell her bye. and he walks up to her at this table and he can't even get the words out. And it's, he's frustrated, he's angry, and it's sad and it's tragic. It, it's the most awful part of this movie. And he begins to walk away from this woman and she stands up and she walks up behind Leonard and she puts her hand on his waist. And with her other hand, she grabs his hand. And with no music playing whatsoever, she begins to dance with Leonard. And as they dance together, his twitching stops. And his spasming and his convulsions stop. And it is the most beautiful scene in that movie. And it reminds me of how amazing... It is that some people, you can look at their lives and and you think they have no blessings in their lives whatsoever. Everything's bad for these people. And they can't get a break and every step they take and every day they live, it's another defeat. It's another demoralizing bad thing that's happened to them. And you can look at their lives as totally absent of any blessing whatsoever, yet they still dance every day. You know these people. They're dancing. No music, but they're dancing. That's amazing to me. What's even more amazing is that there are those of us who live just just these symphonic lives. And the music's playing all the time. And we are blessed beyond measure. We have everything we could ever possibly want and then some. And yet, despite being so blessed, and despite the music playing for us all the time, we keep our seats. We don't dance at all. That's amazing to me. You know, some people can look at this book and they see rules and regulations and they see the laws and they see this as a constitution. These are the things that we can and cannot do. And you know these people too, right? They can't sneeze without a book chapter verse reference, you know? We better not do that. I'm not sure we can try this. Where are we authorized to do that? You know these people. But there are also people who open this book And they know about the rules. They know about the laws. They know all about the shalls and the shall nots. But when they open this book, they feel the Father's hand on their shoulder. And they feel the Father's arms embracing them in love. And they go through their lives every day dancing with God. You know, life in Midland, Texas. Let's be serious for a second. It is almost cumbersome with blessing. We are so blessed in this city, in this country. You can't get out of bed in the morning without tripping over half a dozen different blessings. I was at lunch a couple of weeks ago with a group, and we ate a ton of food. We, I know it's hard for you to believe, but we ate so much food. And it was so good, and there was so much of it, and we were so stuffed and so blessed and so happy and content. And grateful. And then they brought out free soapapias. We didn't need them. We didn't want them. We didn't ask for them. But here they were free soapapias. We live in a city. We live in a country where we couldn't run away from our blessings if we wanted to. And Psalm 23 is about our blessings. This this beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture that just, it raises the bar for everything else we read in the Bible, right? This is definitely a top ten, at least. How many times have we been comforted by these words? How many times have we been strengthened by the truth in Psalm 23? And every single verse is just gushing about blessings. I want you to listen to the blessings in Psalm 23. It's every verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is Hebrew poetry for just call me Bill Gates or just call me Dak Prescott. You know, somebody wealthy and blessed beyond measure like Like, I'm in Hawaii, in the sunshine, at Christmas, downhill both ways with a good haircut and a great lawyer, you know? I've got everything. This is about blessing. And brothers and sisters, we love blessings. We like to pretend that blessings aren't that important until they somehow get taken away, and then we realize... How important our blessings are. Our whole lives revolve around blessings. And even with all the blessings we have, we're still always asking God for more blessings. And the wonderful thing, the unfathomable thing, is that our God wants to give us blessings more than we want to get them. He is more willing to give and more eager to give than we are to receive from Him. And the sad reality is, the blessings we do have, we don't always handle very well. That's a mark of our sinfulness, I think. Most of us were pretty pathetic about it. I know I am. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells us a very sad story about a very blessed landowner. The sad part of this story is how this landowner handles his blessings. Jesus says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, you fool. And the man dies that night because as Jesus explains, he was storing up treasures for himself and he was not rich toward God. In Psalm 23, David sings, my cup overflows. And our response to that is typically, great, thank you, Lord, I'm going to have to get a bigger cup. In Luke chapter 21... You've got these rich people bringing their gifts to the temple. Big men bringing big money, giving big money. And then this poor widow woman who's giving just these two small coins. All she had to live on, the scripture says. She's giving everything she has. Now that's somebody who handles blessing in her poverty. Whether her poverty was big or small, I don't know. But she understood blessing. Big or little, however much blessing it was, she understood exactly where it came from and exactly how it should be used. Jesus pointed her out as an example of how to handle the things that we receive from God. And that probably confused the disciples and it probably ticked off the rich people. Luke chapter 5, you have this miraculous catch of fish. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The nets are breaking and the boats are sinking and the disciples are hollering out across the lake for help. And, And what we didn't talk about was, what happened to all that fish? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It says they pulled their boats and the fish up on the shore and they left everything to follow Jesus. But what happened to the fish? You know, even if these four guys filled themselves with the fish. If they stuffed their bellies and they crammed their pockets, it still says they left most all of it right there. And what that means to me is every single person in that community, everybody around them shared in that blessing. They all got some fish that day. And that is the scriptural picture of blessing. David sings, my cup overflows. We could all, we have all. Sung that today. My cup overflows. Okay, to what purpose? Why? Why does your cup overflow? So it'll run all over the ground? No, that would be a waste. And church, our God does not do waste. When he fed four or five thousand people in the wilderness, Jesus had everybody pick up the leftovers, right? There's no waste with God. Everything gets used. So why do we have so many blessings that they overflow? You've probably seen these champagne glasses, right, at a wedding or in a movie or something where there's one glass on top and on top of three and then on top of six and then on top of nine. You've got this huge pyramid of champagne glasses. How do all those glasses get filled? They pour the champagne in the top glass. Now, all the other glasses in that whole tower, they're all going to be filled by the overflow of that one single glass. That's the picture of blessing, that we have in the Bible. Blessings are always intended to be shared. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Okay, that's, that's pretty typical language for Jesus. He's always giving. He's always blessing. If you're thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. I'll give you what you need. Okay, again, to what point? What's the purpose of receiving this blessing from you, Jesus? He says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Let me give you something to drink, and I'm going to turn you into a little water fountain running around just blessing people all over the place. That's the point. And I'm spoiled by my blessings. Are you? spoiled and that may be the greatest curse of the many curses of living in this country and one of them is we are so spoiled by so much and we take so much for granted we have it all brothers and sisters we have more than everything we could ever possibly need yet we're occupied with what we don't have that's a it's a shame that's tragic think about this Black Friday was not invented for Christmas shopping, honestly. It wasn't. All those big bargains, all those big deals, those are all on products that people buy for themselves. Seriously, you're not giving a 75-inch TV to your uncle for Christmas, right? Or a king-size mattress. You're just, you're not doing it. It's all about buying things for ourselves. And, and this, this poor widow lady in Luke She may have been praying to God to give her more. She probably was. But she was occupied with what she had and how to use it. And she was probably surrounded by a lot of people advising her on her money, right? Can't you hear her son right now? Mom, you can't just give it all away. But Jesus commended her. Jesus applauded her for the outrageous, extravagant, over-the-top way she used her blessings from God. We were part of a church years ago. This is a long, long time ago. And this church had just built up this massive portfolio. And they were just sitting on tons of cash, mountains of cash in the bank. And they weren't doing anything with it. And to talk to the elders and to talk to the deacons of finance about, you know, here's some ideas for maybe giving some of this money to the poor or to the hungry in our town, uh, it was like talking to this stand. I mean, it just, it wasn't going anywhere, no response. And so one night, a couple of friends and I, we went to the elders meeting. This was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, we weren't wanting to blow up the bank or anything. We weren't wanting to just, you know, give everything away, but, but we did have some ideas, And, uh, you know, we walked into that meeting and and we're like, you know, the Bible, if you just open it up on a windy day and and any passage that blows out into the street, it's about giving money to the poor, you know, it's about helping the needy. You don't even have to put the passages back in. There's so many in there, you know, we're not going to miss them. That's what this whole Bible is about. And you know what we heard? The Lord wants us to be good stewards with his money. And I remember thinking that night how tragically sad it was that our spiritual leaders did not understand that according to the word of God, giving your money away to the poor is the very definition of godly stewardship. You know what else I heard that night? We need to save it up for a rainy day. And I remember walking out of that that room that night and, and talking with our friends like, You know, there's nearly 7 billion people in this world, the vast majority of them heading to hell in a speedboat. We've got poverty in more countries than we know how to count. We've got disease wiping out entire generations. We've got addiction and abuse and violence and single moms and jobless dads. It's safe to say to me we're living in the middle of a monsoon. Save it for a rainy day? Check the forecast. We're drowning. Our blessings are not just for us. Our blessings from God are intended by God to be used in blessing the people around us. Listen to me. Just as the Lord prepares a table for us in the midst of all of our troubles and our enemies, we too are called by God into the catering business. We set up these tables of blessing for everybody around us, tables of honor and provision, places of belonging and blessing. Our Father is reconciling the entire world to Himself. And even though He needs nothing from us, the truth is we mostly serve to just get in the way, honestly. But our Lord is inviting us to join Him in His salvation mission, to partner with Him in restoring and redeeming and healing and helping and saving and blessing. Matthew chapter 19 Our Lord Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Okay Jesus are you like are you summarizing here is this kind of a big picture thing Well yeah of course because you know even a cup of cold water given in my name will never go unrewarded 100 times church Jesus is saying any investment in me anything you give towards the gospel and the gospel mission will not go unrewarded you're going to receive 100 times as much a 100 to 1 return guaranteed every time and and eternal life. If I had five $100 bills in my pocket and I asked you to give me a one in exchange for that 100, you'd be crazy not to jump on that. It'd be foolish. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. lavished. I've got three children. I love them with all my heart. You've got kids, most of you. You know what I'm talking about. I will move heaven and earth to give my children everything. Protection, provision, blessing, gifts, I'll give them everything they need and almost everything they ask for. If it's good for them, I'll do it. Because I love them so much. And Jesus says, Alan, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, if you, in your sin and your shortcomings and your failures and all of your problems, If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father give to you? My cup overflows. How much more love? How much more forgiveness? How much more grace? My cup overflows. He who did not spare his own son but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? So what do you have? Houses, cars, an education, family, friends, a job, skills, time? What do you have? How have you been blessed? Brothers and sisters, we can all say, You have prepared a table for me, God. My cup overflows. Amen? Amen. Amen. The word Eucharist is from the Greek word that means Thanksgiving. When you and I think about Thanksgiving, we think about food and family and football. Amen. Amen. I think about jalapeno corn. And I think about pumpkin pie. That's Thanksgiving. Eucharist. Thanksgiving. That's the word. The Greek word in the New Testament for communion is koinonia. You know what koinonia means? Sharing together. Fellowship. Sharing what you have with others. And God's church has always expressed its thanksgiving to God We've always thanked God for our blessings with a big meal on the Lord's Day. The big meal on the Lord's Day is where we share our blessings with one another. We not only thank God and share what we have with each other and serve one another, but listen, that meal in God's church, it shapes us. It forms us. It trains us to share. To share with each other, to serve each other food, to serve each other drink, but also to share all the other blessings we have from God. It's around the table where God's church has always shared love and shared the acceptance that we have from God and shared the forgiveness that we enjoy and shared the righteous relationship that we have with the Father through the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the centuries, the church has watered it down pretty badly. We have moved from the Lord's meal being a joyful feast to a solemn snack. It's just a sip and a crumb. During the COVID pandemic, we've made it even worse. Those awful rip and sip communion kits. If communion could be any worse, we've done it. Because now we're all serving ourselves. We're not serving anybody and nobody's serving us. We are serving ourselves with those little rippin' sips. And those things are also shaping us. They're training us to think and behave in a certain way. And it's not good. And so next Sunday, I am so excited to announce we're going to start passing trays again because we have lost something I want to talk about it more next Sunday, but listen, I'll I'll preview it with this. We've lost something with the way we do communion. We've lost that one-to-one, I'm handing you something, you're serving me, I'm serving you. We've lost that, and we're not willing here to give that up. And so next Sunday, we're going to start passing trays again. Today, today, we're going to express our thanksgiving to God, and we're going to experience what it means to share In the blessings that we've all received from God and what it means to serve one another at this communion feast. And we've got 12, 13 different tables set up around this worship center to do that. So let me ask, first of all, for our uh, shepherds and their spouses and our ministers and their spouses. Would y'all please go um, behind one of the tables? Just make sure all of our tables um, have a host. And I'll... uh, Carrie Ann and I, will, we'll, we'll do this table here. Um, here here's what I'm going to ask us to do. This is how we're going to end our service today, okay? And the idea is we're just going to hang out at these tables for as long as you want to. The cowboys don't kick off till 3.20. And there's enough food here to last you till then, okay? And all of it's real. Everything on these tables is real. You can eat all of it. But um, I'm going to ask you to just go find a table, And uh, we're not going to count, but if you can kind of divide up evenly, that would be good. I'm going to ask you to do that here in just a second, to just gather around a table. And then I'm going to read from the first part of Philippians 2 and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. And here's what I'm going to ask. Do not eat any bread that's not served to you. We need to all serve each other today, okay? So we'll break the bread and we'll get it started. And if this table, you know, if it's big and there's a lot of people around, we're just going to share that bread. And there's enough bread, too. Don't worry about it. Today's not the day to break off a little crumb to see how spiritual you are. Today's the day to dig in, okay? We're going to eat. We're going to try to, as restricted as we are with just bread and cup nowadays, we're going to try to uh, experience what the earliest Christians experienced, a full meal together on the Lord's Day with God's people. So I would say break off some bread, hand it to somebody. And say the body of Christ. And let's do that around these tables. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. You're serving your brother. You're serving your sister. You're being served. You're receiving a blessing. And then if you want to talk, talk. If you want to share some joy. If you want to share some sympathy with someone. If you want to meet somebody you've never met before. And find out if this is their first Sunday here. Or if they've been here 30 years longer than you've been here. You know, Do that around these tables. And then I'll, I'll stop you and, and, and we'll read a little bit about the cup. And we'll pray for the cup. And then we'll do the same thing with the cup. Don't drink it until somebody has served it to you. And if nobody has served it to you, stand there with a very glaring look on your face. Like, hey, what am I, Chop liver? Come on, I'm a brother, I'm a sister. Let's serve each other. And let's talk. And let's enjoy each other's fellowship. Let's enjoy each other's company. And we're going to talk, and we're going to visit, and we're going to hang out around these tables. And then after five minutes or so, nobody leave till this is done, okay? This isn't a, this isn't a to-go deal, all right? You're going you're gonna to gather around the tables. We're going to eat and drink. Kim, I saw that. And then I'm going to lead us in a benediction. I'm going to read from Colossians 2. And then at that point, we'll go in peace. All right. Nod if you think that makes enough sense to get started. All right. Church, all things are ready. Come to the feast. Find a table.